One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Amplify Live podcast channel, where you can access the latest market insights from the head of market analysis, Anthony Chung, and head of trading, Piers Curran, getting you up to speed on what mattered in markets this week. Okay, hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Amplify Live Market Watch podcast. And (laughs) with me, I've got our co-founder of Amplified Trading, our parent company, and also our head of trading, Piers Curran. Hey, Piers. Hello. Hello. Looking forward to kicking this podcast off. It's been been long in the way. We've had a lot of people demanding this, Anthony Chung. So it's about, (laughs) at last, let's get this ball rolling. Yeah. I mean, what a week to get it rolling. But before we get into the... um, the nuts and bolts of the uh, the, the retail trading mob uh, and uh, the, the impact they've had on markets this week just gone. Um, quick introduction, just for anyone new to the channel about yourself, Piers. What's your background and what do you do just generally now in Amplify? Yep. Uh, so very briefly, my background, I uh, graduated and joined HSBC as a grad in their asset management side. Um, I worked in the global macro uh, asset allocation team. So very much looking at global economics and, and just trying to translate that down into, right, what does that mean for asset classes, you know, out over the next sort of 12 to, to kind of 24 months. And um, so I, I did that for a couple of years, but then I, that, from there, I, I knew I wanted to trade. That's when I kind of figured out my calling, if you like. And so I jumped ship and I went to join a US trading firm, US futures trading firm called Goldenberg Haymar in their London office. And this is where I kind of started cutting my teeth, if you like, as a trader, started off with uh, government bond futures. And then as I, as I progressed, I kind of opened out and, and run a, a multi-asset um, strategy. So it's very much um, a global macro multi-asset strategy. And in my early days, it was very short-term intraday stuff, looking to really try and exploit very short-term macro-driven uh, volatility. But as as the years have gone on, and, and my kind of time has been more and more split, uh, now that we, we founded Amplify Trading in 2009. So 
in the last decade, it's been divided between trying to run and build the business as well as obviously still trying to trade. And, and I'd say these days I'm a bit more medium term, uh, but very much still macro multi-asset. Cool. Well, look, a good summary. And hopefully for those new to, to our community, uh, Piers is going to join me at the end of every week. And definitely what my intention of this um, kind of series of podcasts is to be is that it's, this is just you guys listening in, me and Piers, as we would do normally, drink in hand, end of the week, just kind of looking back at what's happened. And then also maybe a comment on what we're expecting for the, for the week ahead. And in terms of my background, um, so I started in markets in 2006 as a, as a market analyst. Um, I worked for a real-time news and analysis company that used to service institutional clients as well as retail clients, uh, and basically talking about uh, macro developments happening on a day-to-day, intraday format. Um, so now in Amplify, I'm in charge of kind of managing a lot of the community. I did a lot of work in kind of deconstructing macro into something a little bit more understandable, perhaps, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, and so that's what we're going to be covering on here and then going forward. So let's get straight into the, the main talking point of the week, which is there's no doubt what's been the dominant theme. I'm sure everyone is aware of it. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't express how many WhatsApp messages I've had from people from all manner of sins, even people from school that I've not spoken to, <laughs> even even that old social media platform, Facebook, who's been getting lit up <laughs> with like messages saying, so what's this GameStop thing? What's going on there? Should yeah. I be getting a piece of that? And I'm like, ooh. So, so just, just get me up to speed. What's your kind of, what's your take on the week and how that's all played out? Yeah, really crazy week. I mean, in a, a whole different new way. I mean, it's obviously been a crazy Crazy month, crazy year, um, but yeah, just a new chapter in this this phenomenal uh, twelve months that we've had, and and it brings together a whole load of um, interesting kind of factors and dynamics. But um, you know, the retail trader, you know, the David versus Goliath um, battle um, with, with GameStop shares being the the kind of battlefield, um, and you know, the, the good old punter on the street uh, taking on the elite hedge funds. And on the one hand, you know, put my trader hat aside for a second. You've got to love that kind of story. I mean, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a Netflix uh, season, uh, surely, in the making there somewhere. <laughs> I can already, I'd like to take that option now, actually. Can I take <laughs> up that option for a Netflix series about this episode? Okay. Do you reckon we could uh, we could be, we could get in there? Surely? That's it. Well, you can be my market maker then, and I'll uh... right. done. Um, but I, just, I love it. I, I love it from a, a few different angles. But I I just um, we were chatting earlier in the week about how um, you, you know the whole the whole the whole evolution of the access to financial markets over the last. Well, let's call it 20 years, but particularly in the last 10 years, and then particularly in the last two or three years, that, that trend of retail, the retail guys getting, you know, being able to, to be a part of the action, stepping up to the to the top table and, and actually getting stuck into financial market trading. I mean, it's been a trend where that's become ever and ever increasingly easier and increasingly cheaper. Um, and um, 
you know, I, I guess it's a, it's not a culmination of all of that because that trend and that story hasn't ended. So it's not like the end big battle at the end of that, that, that journey. I think it's a, it's like a big moment in that journey. That journey will continue, but it's a particularly fascinating kind of timestamp along that, along the way where it's hit front page news and you've actually had for once at least to start with anyway, for once you've had the retail guy, you know, beating uh, the big boys with those hedge funds. So those who aren't fully aware of the situation, GameStop shares um, rallied. Well, what was it in the end? Well, I still, maybe it hasn't ended yet, but um, what was it? One and, a, one and a half thousand percent. Is that right? Well, certainly over a thousand percent. Yeah, it was 1,600, 1,700%. And then it's kind of, yeah, every time I look at it, it's doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's insane. I mean, even today, I mean, obviously, we've still got a long way to go into the close. Well, God, I looked at the screen. Um, literally five minutes ago, GameStop was up 58%. It's now up 74%. Um, so who the hell knows where that will finish? But it could be, it's like a 300% range on the day, and it could literally finish anywhere. But um, so, so while you're talking on that specific point then, so with how... The broader market functions. So when you, when you go beyond next week, the week after, and then it's March. Yeah. Are people still going to be talking about this? Or not? Um, I very much doubt in March, but I think there's still room to play here in the next. It's certainly next week. Um, you, you know what it's like. We need. We need another interesting story to come along to, to make this one, you know, yesterday's news. And at the moment, there isn't a new story yet, but inevitably there will be. Um, so right, in so the meantime... That's so, so true. It's like the, the behavioral element of it. It's like, you know, Trump impeachment. It's like, I don't even yeah. know. <laughs> it's my job to know these things. It's like, I mean, look, I can tell you, but look, the point is no one cares. I mean... Trump impeachment, it was, a, it was a nothing in the first place. It's even lesser interesting to sell clicks on a yeah. newspaper website now. <laughs> and so there's a bigger story in town. And, you know, as yeah, I, I spent um, this morning, actually, I was doing a session with some master students in, in Lisbon and Porto. So, you know, the joy of, the joy of Zoom through my, from, from my, off, my home office. And... Um, <laughs> I was trying to explain to them, and perhaps this is something you could touch upon, it's the idea of what you read in mainstream media to actually generally how markets are moving, you know, kind of Xing out this particular um, situation, just generally. Yeah. It's often well, quite different. Maybe the most extreme example to give there is when Capitol Hill got stormed by Trump supporters, right? right? Armed armed Trump supporters smashing down the doors. And, you know, it, so from, from a political point of view and from a sort of a media point of view, that is like, whoa, that is massive. And yet markets didn't care. And that's because Trump's, well, he's on the way out, right? He's done. So actually from a financial markets point of view, all right, a little bit of volatility maybe that day, but, but it's, it's irrelevant. It's entirely irrelevant to how the economy is going to perform in 2021. So there's, there's very clear examples of what you've described. Um, but then I think with this one, with GameStop, it's particularly interesting because the actual thing that the media are focusing on is actually trading. 
and it's the trading of a financial asset. That whole Trump, anything Trump-related or Biden, that's political, right? Now, politics obviously influences the economy, and then that influences financial markets, right? So you've got, you've got a two-step um, scenario there to get to the financial market part. But the GameStop thing, it is a financial asset, and that's the story. And so that's why you're, I think you're getting a much clearer, larger financial market, or I should say financial asset response, um, I should be careful here because it doesn't, you know, I don't think the GameStop situation is going to impact the way the US economy performs in 2021 at all. It'll have no effect, but it definitely has a very pronounced impact on that share price. And then on a few other shares that are kind of uh, similar to GameStop in so much as any shares where you've got a very large proportion of the share issuance that's kind of reserved for short positioning. You know, they're the ones that have been targeted by these sort of um, these retail traders that are looking to go after the the kind of big boys. Um, yeah. And so, you know, you mentioned there about 2021, really, then ultimately it's about still the recurring theme of COVID, vaccination rollouts, the economic kind of um, impact of ongoing lockdowns and then ultimately restrictions and how quickly that can happen will determine, let's say, the shape and speed of the recovery. So today we've had kind of two notable pieces of news in the last 24 hours on that front. So kind of shifting the focus a little bit. You've had Novavax and then the one that I think a lot of people were waiting for, which was J&J with their one-shot wonder. Yeah. <laughs> which obviously is, you know, it sounds... Is that like, like Michael Jordan of vaccines? <laughs> <laughs> well, the idea being here then is that you know, it's easy to say, well, yeah, just one shot. Obviously, it's better. But you know, if you think about the, dis the disruptions that a, a multiple shot process entails through storage, the yeah. volume of, of manufacturing, distribution, you know, one shot is a big deal. Um, the numbers. Tell, tell me what what with the with the storage bit because because obviously. One good thing about the AstraZeneca one is that you can store it in a normal fridge. Well, what's the situation with the, the Johnson yeah. & Johnson? J&J &J is, I definitely know in terms from a cost perspective, um, I'm not sure about the regularity of like temperature in a standard fridge, like say Astra is pinned at. Yeah. I know it's not an issue. Right. <laughs> and I guess that solves the problem. The, the cost, um, and as well, you know, as we know, the, the difference big difference between something like, not just from a cost perspective for say Pfizer, BioNTech and, and Moderna, but Moderna is a relatively new player in yeah. some sense beyond vaccinations. And so someone like J&J, Astra can really like put the foot on the gas, yeah. should it so be that way. Um, but you know, one of the interesting things I wanted to, to talk about here was that when the news broke, really interesting behavior initially, in the very, you know, if you operate the intraday market, obviously speed is king when it comes to breaking news. The market actually came off. Stocks came off when the news broke because they ran the headline initially. The vaccine is effective overall global trial, 66%. Right. And the market came down. <laughs> and I was like, you know, this is a really good lesson though. I, I was kind of conveying to some of the junior guys. I was like, look, this market, it's not going to move down on the back of, of that. And we talked about this earlier in the week. The, the market kind of like with a, a GameStop hungry for multi-100% returns, 
It's kind of like with vaccines, it almost feels like the market's anchored to 90%. If yeah. you're not 90%, then don't come knocking on my door. I don't want to know. You're not good enough to get in this party. And this, this number comes out at 66%. But then yeah. the thing I keep saying to, to our traders, particularly those who this is all very new to them, I say to them, look, that's a headline figure. What about what's under the bonnet with this vaccine? And actually, it's 100% effective against hospitalizations and death. Right. And actually, it's the first tangible results we know of a vaccine, J&J, we've had when it actually does work against the variant. Yeah, right. It's not, it's not, yeah. it's not, it's not about, you know, you know, does it? Oh, I don't know. The CEO of BioNTech says, yes, it does. It's like, okay, this is empirical evidence now from data. It yeah. does. Yes, the efficacy rate decreases with some of the different variances because they're all different mutations. So it's really, I thought it was quite a good lesson. And I just wanted to mention it because I think a lot of new guys get get burnt by just, and the market, I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong, the market reacted that way. So it's almost like the market hits it on the headline first. And yeah. then there's the secondary rational kind of more, um, intelligent reaction. Right, and like, I, that's the word, intelligent, I think, or, or let's just say educated is, is better. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's quite an interesting situation where you've got an incredibly, well, obviously a, a vaccine is an incredibly complex sort of um, medical thing that, let's be honest, the absolute vast majority of traders and investors you know, know very little about, okay? Completely ignorant to the way vaccines work. How are they developed? How are they tested? How effective are they? You know, side effects and the whole kind of multi-year process of all of this stuff. I, I mean, I know nothing, okay? Now, all of a sudden, knowing that information becomes the most powerful thing for an investor because that vaccine is going to have the most powerful well, these vaccines will have the most powerful force on the economy in 2021, full stop. Now, that's either a really positive force on the economy or a really negative one, right? If, if they work and they get rolled out quickly, hugely powerfully positive for global economics in 2021. If the variants turn out or if the vaccines turn out to be ineffective against the variants and the rollouts kind of cocked up, then, oh, Disaster, right? And we're back to kind of lockdown. So the, the 2021, it's absolutely about vaccines. Now, most people don't know anything about them. So you're, all they know are these absolute headline figures, you know, the 90% effectiveness, and then suddenly 66. Well, hang on, that's disaster. That's, you might as well throw it in the bin. That's right. Well, that failed. That's a failure. Right, quick sell. When actually that's obviously incorrect. That's ignorant. And then the proper move comes in from the more educated, and it's about just getting, the problem is time, isn't it? And people don't have time. And that's why people like you, Mr. Anthony Chung, are so valuable for people because you, that's your job. You didn't know anything about vaccines six months ago, but now you're an absolute leading expert from, an invest, from the investor community's point of view. You're like a leading expert. Um, so... Yeah, and there's a, there's a good, um, uh, I guess, lesson out of that, which I always try to convey to people when they're looking at financial markets, is applying that kind of 
pyramid structure to the hierarchy of news. Yeah. Yeah. So things like we've had earnings season, for example. Apple have blown out $100 billion in a quarter. It blows my mind. That's a what's year. That, that was their year. That was their year figure, peers, only in 2011. They just <laughs> smashed it in one quarter. Can we have that kind of growth, please? <laughs> Who cares? But the, 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 the thing is, is that there are, there always is news going on that feels important. Yeah. But the important thing here is to determine then ultimately what are the factors that are going to influence, as Piers said, I think this idea about what is it that the, the future looks like. You know, so yeah, but, but look, let, let, let's quickly kind of have a quick look at, there's three main things about next week I'd, I'd love to get your, your view on. Uh, yep. I can kind of set the scene for each and then go for it. See what you've see what you got. So next week we've got the Bank of England, great decision. We've just had the Fed this week. We've had the ECB. I'd kind of, I guess, summarize those two events as the holding pattern. Yeah, so I'm, all, uh, sorry, I'm falling asleep. As soon as you said <laughs> Bank of England, I think I, I just fell asleep. <laughs> okay, we'll fast track. Basically, yeah, there's, not, there's no market relevance to the Bank of England, in my view. When, when do you think that the negative rate, what would be a catalyst for negative rate to become more of a talking point with real seriousness at the MPC? But, okay, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it probably will happen this year, but but my point is bigger than that. My point is, who cares about negative rates? Yeah. What what difference does it make? Right. If the rates are at zero, and what they're going to move it to minus zero point one. So you say that What's, the ECB, so um, ECB's Klaus Knott, and also a Bloomberg source this week. Yeah. Started started talking in a, a very obvious attempt, it would seem, to manage the currency because they were explicit pretty much in saying, uh, basically, we can, we can lower rates. But exactly like you said, what, take the deposit rate from minus 0.5 to 0.6? Yeah. Yeah, like, look, let them open the floodgates. I mean, look, central banks were the big game in town. I think they've lost their ability to have an influence just because they've hit zero and now there's not much else to do. I mean, they can go to zero minus 0 0.1 or they, you know, or they can say, oh, we're changing our inflation mandate now and we're going to have a, a flexible inflation mandate. All right, fine. But, you know, it doesn't make any difference. So 2021, I mean, it absolutely is irrelevant. Um, the Fed saying, oh, yeah, we're not going to hike rates till 2023. All right. And that doesn't make any difference to this year. Um, it doesn't make any difference to next year either, to be honest. It's, you know, it's definitely a yep. fiscal management of a COVID crisis. Mm. That is the, the, that's the thing that moves the needle yep. in terms of how the economy might perform. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because that, that whole, there was almost a week, it felt like, where everyone got uh, obsessive about inflation and the risk of, because of the Georgia Senate seat swing. Yeah. But that ship has sailed now. I think everyone's come to the realization that, yes, it needs to be monitored. No, it's not going to be a thing here and now. And most likely, it's going to be a short-term temporary effect rather than underlying real inflation 
which uh, would require no. those changes. Can we just touch there because, in t- I mean, perhaps perhaps we can do a whole podcast on this, but the mm. when we hit April, headline inflation is going to spike. And that's because the price of oil in April last year, and we all know <laughs> what happened, right? Went yeah. negative. And the price of oil, well, who knows what it's going to be in April this year, but let's just say it's 50 bucks for argument's sake or 55 bucks, whatever. It's trading 52, 55 as I speak. But um, the point is that headline inflation that includes energy is always done, measured. If you took, take the year on year figure, which is the, the kind of headline most important one, um, the price of oil from April 2020 to April 2021 will have gone up. Um, well, I don't even know how you calculate that percentage when it's from negative to positive. But anyway, you're going to get a big spike in headline inflation. And for the uneducated, they might go, oh, my God, wow, this is, oh, my God, it's happening. You yeah. know, uh, and, but, but actually, it's, it's, it's an irre- irrelevance because you need to look at core CPI, which strips out energy. So we just got to be careful. There will be an inflation blip as we hit, as we hit quarter two, but it will probably then uh, dissipate. And, and we'll still, like second half of this year, we'll be back into this kind of line of super low inflation that stubbornly doesn't want to go anywhere. Okay. Well, look, two, two other, just other points to really summarize next week. Um, I mean, there's lots of others, but I'm going to focus on non-fund payrolls. Comes out at the end of the week. The last one that we had feels like, Time's flying, actually. It was like that only came out the other week. But obviously, beginning of a new fresh month, and we had the first previous dip that we've seen in several months in the headline change in non-farms. After being this kind of this radical loss of jobs, 21-odd million, yeah. the kind of reading for, for March came out in April, it then bounced back spectacularly and then leveled off to pretty much lower levels of job creation. Then we turned negative. So I guess more so than dwelling on the figures, is it important? Um, I don't think it's that important. In, well, I, it is in the, it's more important than it has been for, for a while, just because we've gone negative again and we've had, you know, we've had another set of lockdowns and we want to know how much damage these 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 second lockdowns or third lockdowns wherever you are how much damage have these latest lockdowns done and so that's why this data now becomes a little bit more important to try and kind of backwards measure in january how many jobs were lost and clearly obviously that's a an has an economic impact and so yeah, we're just unsure as to exactly how damaging these these last set of lockdowns have been. And so I think that's why it's a little bit more important than it has been in recent months. Okay, and then the, 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 the final thing is you've got now, obviously, the, the OPEC oil ministers, they all meet now on a monthly basis. Um, I think the uh, meeting is happening next week, or at least that of the JMMC, which is like their committee to see like how people are adhering to compliance and things like that. Uh, yeah. Any thoughts on on oil and, and OPEC, or is this more of a a COVID implication uh, on demand rather I'm than a supply? Bit, I'm a little bit upset about this monthly stuff because I think these OPEC meetings will just become less and less uh, influential. You know, hang, hang like, about what you're saying that they're they're going to get actually better at their job in creating price stability. You prefer well, it when they uh, leave us in the dark and then drop the bombshell. I, 
Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not like they're best mates either. So, I mean, the, the fact they want to meet up way more regularly, I'm, in, I'm interested in. But um, I guess it just means that each meeting is now less uh, significant because it's a less of a big set piece event. It used to be every six months, right? But now once a month. So, But look, we're right in the middle of a very interesting um, phase for OPEC in terms of production cut extensions and you know, your, your racks coming into the mix with their sort of moves. And um, and then obviously that's all on the supply side, but then clearly on the demand side, you've got a lot of uncertainty with the vaccine rollout and how effective it is and, and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I think that the Saudis last time made a very bold, um, quite shocking move by just saying, look, we'll go alone, guys. Don't worry, we'll cut by a million barrels. You don't have to, you know, we're going to just do one, take a hit for the team, which has got us up above 50 bucks and we're trading above 52 and have been for the last couple of weeks. And I think they'll want to keep it up there. I mean, I, I think they'll want to defend $50 and they will do that by changing their commentary depending on the COVID situation. So if, if COVID, if, if vaccine rollout's really good, and demand mm. expectations rise, great. They can start taking their foot off the, the kind of production cut pedal. Well, I mean, look, without sounding incredibly boring and to rain on people's parade, OPEC have already said in January that basically the level of supply is set for February, March. Yeah. So as you said, I think unless there's a major development on something else to particularly, I guess, most sensitive would be on the demand side with COVID and so on, always, I guess, tail risk of disruption of supply, but I don't see that at this present point in time. So, but look, let, let, let's wrap it there. It's a Friday. Yeah. I'm sure we've we've got <laughs> some, uh, some relaxation time after what's been a pretty manic week um, for, for everyone. So yeah, I mean, if, you, if you've listened to this, it's your first time, it's our first go at a podcast, you know, appreciate if you enjoyed it, leave a rating, leave a comment, you know, um, subscribe to the, the channel, be much appreciated. And the plan of action is me and Mr. Curran are gonna do this every Friday. And definitely just let us know um, what you think. We can always change it up, talk about other subjects. Yeah, exactly. Give us any ideas, guys. If, you, if you're interested in us talking and focusing on a specific topic, then just get it, get it, get it across to us and we'll, uh, we'll get it in the mix. Great. All right, Piers. Thanks very much and uh, enjoy your weekend. See you, mate. Bye. See you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.